Welcome to the Naturopathic Business Podcast, the number one podcast on business and marketing for the everyday naturopathic doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Gonzalez, and I'm so excited that you're tuning in. My main goal here is to help you learn everything about the business side of naturopathic medicine. Here's a little background. After graduating naturopathic medical school in 2018, I realized I had no idea how to run a business, let alone start one. So I did the one thing I knew how to do best, research. I began to research all the things about starting a practice, and in doing so, I wound up interviewing other successful doctors. By the end of it, I had fallen in love with the business side of medicine and decided it was gonna be my goal to share it with as many naturopathic students and doctors as possible. And that's how the Naturopathic Business Podcast was born. I've helped hundreds of students and doctors across the U.S. learn more about starting their practice, building their brand, and marketing it to the world. And the best news is, I have no intention of stopping anytime soon. So again, welcome to the show. And if you have any questions at all about the business side of medicine, please, please do not hesitate to send me a message. You can find my email in the description below, or you can reach me directly on Instagram at naturopathicbusiness. Lastly, if you haven't already done so, please smash that subscribe button. All right, now let's get to business. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. Uh, We made it. We are now officially at season three, episode 13. So... We are slowly but surely catching up to present time, um, and I'm going to keep launching more episodes. I got a ton still lined up. I'm letting them out slowly, but slowly but surely, we're going to catch up to present time. Eventually, every episode I post is going to be, you know, I recorded it either the week before or two weeks before, so it won't be that far out. Um, in this episode, I interview one of my best friends, Dr. Marcus Shams. Uh, he's, he's been a SCNM resident. He graduated with me from SCNM, uh, and he's right now, he's the owner of a really successful mobile practice. Uh, one that he's, he built on his own. He built his entire mobile practice out of a ambulance. And in this episode, we dive deep into how exactly he did that. Um, and then just as a fair warning, we are good friends. So, our language kind of, uh, it, it, it's friendly language, so explicit content warning right here. I'm giving it to you. We do drop maybe uh, a bad word here and there, but please, we're just having a good time sharing all the info, and hopefully you can get a bunch of info from this episode. So uh, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe, uh, share with a friend, and maybe leave a review. I don't know. It's up to you. Uh, and yeah, I hope you, uh, you enjoy this episode. Let's get on into it. Something like that. Like it's pretty nasty kind of, it's like this infection on the skin. And if you don't treat it immediately, it kind of spreads throughout your body and it can definitely kill you. But this is an Iranian paper of all places. So in Iran, they, they did a study of just looking at ozonating olive oil, which is like you take an early mild flash with like a little um, filter device in there and you pump ozone through the oil and then you put it through a destroyer so it doesn't leak out into the room around it. They're, uh, 
But they're inhaling it, right? No. So this this is just like if you have a lesion on your skin, you you ozonate the oil. So essentially, you're just filling this oil with ozone gas at a certain gamma concentration, and then you're just applying that ozone oil over the lesion like every single day, a few times. Have you seen the? Uh, so they use that same technique, but they use the ozone. They pass it through the oil. Uh-huh. And and, yeah, and then you, you breathe in stuff like that, which yeah. seems really sketchy. Uh, like, I have such an aversion to the ozone smell. You know, like when you smell ozone, you're like, "This is poisonous." Yeah. Like you can tell right off the bat, this is not good. Because man, I've I've dosed myself with ozone many times. The, the, <clears> my setup, I haven't. First of all, when you're in an ambulance, there's not a lot of space in there, right? So you attach a syringe like a little like one way valve. And I was doing it once, and it wasn't, like, filling up. And what I didn't realize is that the outflow tube from the ozone generator was slightly pinched a little bit. And it was pinched to such a degree that it put back pressure into it. And it blew out, like, at one of the little inline filters. And it just, like, gave me a face full of, like, 70 gamma. And, like, I shut it off, and, like, you, like, recoil back, like, trying to hold your breath. You, like, fall out of the ambulance. And then, yeah, I'd open the side and then the back door just to air it out. Jeez. Yeah. Dude, doing ozone ambulance is difficult, but, like, it's worth it for the patients. So so let's let's talk about that. We'll start out with, uh, well, first of all, tell me about, when, when did you graduate? Um, and I usually do, like, a little intro, right? Like, yeah. how did you get into naturopathic medicine? Mm-hmm. Um, when did you graduate? Did you do a residency or not? And yeah. then, so just, like, a quick introduction. Then. Okay. Yeah, well, so I graduated from SCNM in 2018, in June, and what followed was a very tense four weeks of studying for boards, because I had not studied up to that point. Um, when I did pass boards, I did two-year residency at SCNM, and then um, that last year I was at SCNM was when I started to build a mobile clinic, and then uh, as the pandemic hit and everyone shut down their practices, I, you know, essentially picked up a lot of other people's slack, seeing people in their homes. And did that for a while, and then once the residency ended in October, I just went full-fledged, mobile, all day, every day, sometime late into the night. Yeah. Did did you, uh, so for residency, like, was that something that you already had planned on doing? Like, bef- like when you were in school, you were like, yeah, or even before school, like, you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to do residency? No. Actually, I, I never saw myself as a person that was going to do residency, but I... I don't like to hurt people, and I feel like the the competency that you have going out of school is not high enough to be a, a mediocre physician, if that makes sense. And I mm-hmm. felt that residency would give me the the numbers, you know, seeing patients, you know, seeing all these different conditions, and be able to see what works, see what doesn't work, you know, work on my charting skills, work on my bedside matter, work on my uh, physical exam more and more because there's only so much you can really do while in clinic and so that's why I did the one-year residency after that and then at the end of the one-year residency I it was just an idiotic thing for me to do the second one you know it's fear-based you got it you got comfortable yeah and I, I thought the second year was going to be the same as the first year but really um Kind of, it, it was like that, but once that pandemic kind of rolled around and everything went online, being a resident overseeing, you know, seven to ten students online while seeing patients, you know, and I, I was just a glorified IT tech mm-hmm. at that point, and it was, it was pretty miserable. 
Yeah. Like, I was very glad to see patients outside of there on my own. Yeah. yeah. And so you finished your residency in... Obviously, you have a mobile business now. When did when did that start? And I guess we can start at. Did you always have intentions to start a mobile business? I, it's kind of funny. So, on YouTube, you see all those people that they have van life, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's like uh, schooly life, which is like get a school bus and do that. So, like, I just kept watching all these videos about people converting vans for living and stuff like that, and then people converting school buses. And really, during residency, when I started planning out my after residency plans, you know, like starting my own business and stuff like that. Really, it's just a financial numbers game where like I could not afford, you know, to own a clinic or to pay rent every month until the point where you're profitable enough where like, you know, you're not, you know, you're, you're, you're balancing correctly where, you know, you have enough money to keep your doors open, right? I saw no way in which I could just right out of the gate, see patients and be making a ton of money. So I was like, okay, what's the largest expense that you have? you know, for a small business practice, it tends to be rent or the overhead of like a brick and mortar business. And so I'm like, okay, that's a problem I have to fix, right? So then I looked at, okay, I can just do what everyone else does, which is just, you know, rent rooms for someone or, you know, work um, underneath uh, an existing office. And then I looked and like, man, they just take advantage of people. Like the the splits they give you, like where you only make, you know, like 55%, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, you just, you have to, really bust your butt or charge an exuberant amount of money to do stuff, you know, in order to really make a living doing that. So after I kind of came to that conclusion, I was like, well, what if I just go mobile? Like, what if I just like these vans or these schools, just build a clinic and go to people? Cause then like, I don't have overhead really. Like I have the cost of the vehicle and like fuel, which most people think fuel is expensive, but it's really, it's not a large expense when you just compare it to owning a building that has electricity, you got to run AC, water, internet, phones. It's like, oh, this is ridiculous. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, what was it? uh, About, because you said you were thinking about, or you like, you didn't want to go work for someone because obviously like the contracts were crap. And Mm. I just want to touch on that. Like what's your thoughts on, like, why is that? Why is it in our profession that the people coming out of school, you know, like, it's re- it's an aggressive market. Like, there's not... Well, I, I don't think most people that own practices that end up hiring new dogs, I don't think they're really predatory. But, because I do think that their margins are not usually that great. Like, there's the bell curve of, like, income... You know, there's people that are in the outliers and make a ton of money and people that make no money at all. And most of us make like some amount, right? Well, those people, they're figuring out themselves, you know, they're doctors trying to be businessmen or businesswomen and they just want to keep making money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you hire on a new doc at a good rate where they make a good amount of money and they want to stay in that practice, like it takes such a chunk out of their bottom line that I don't think that they want to do that very often. Yeah. Yeah. So it comes down to like a business management issue. Like it's, it's the cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think, cause I had a conversation with, with uh, another doc in the past about this is like, why are the contracts crap? And it ultimately is the same thing you're saying is like, the issue is that the businesses that these NDs are building just mm-hmm. can't, they're not successful enough to like pay a doctor what they deserve. You know, it's like, yeah. it's not like, like you said, it's not 
they're not assholes, right? It's mm-hmm. like, hey, some are, but <laughs> some most, yeah, <laughs> some are. Most are, yeah, but they give you like thirty yeah, percent, yeah. and like, well, I think those those non compete clauses, or like where they say like, oh, you can't work within like a twenty mile yeah, radius for the yeah. next five years. I'm like, what the hell is that? Like, that's so lack mentality. Like, yeah. who cares? Because like, if you if you treat your patients right and you treat your people that work for you right, like they're not going to go around and just really screw mm-hmm. you by stealing all of your patients. Yeah. Now, listen, some sociopaths that you hire may want to do that, but you can just vet those out before you buy, before you uh, sign them on to work for you. Yeah, and realistically, it's like I feel like it's the insecure docs that are that are the ones making you know contracts like that to some degree because if your practice is great. And you're mm-hmm. delivering the best possible fucking service. Yeah. Then you're not gonna lose patients, right? It's like yeah, it's gonna be hard for someone to take patients with them. Yeah. When they leave. Well, one hundred percent. Like, and this is like with my own business is that I know that if you produce a good product, like you don't need to sell it to anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, like I I don't sell what I do to anyone. Like people like seek me out because I provide a service that very few people in the city provide. Right. And you, you build it to be exactly what the patient needs, right? Like I don't, I try not to price things too too high. I try not to be, you know, predatory and selling people. Like you know, I'm not like a used car salesman going around, you know, trying to keep people. Like people invite me into their home, you know. I, I you do vitals. You run through their health history. You do the physical exam, and you give them the, your, your honest opinion yeah. on the matter. And then you say like, listen, given this case, these are the treatments that I would do. Yeah. And a lot of times with most of the treatments that I do, like I got an Evernote full of research that I have behind it, because like I'm not I'm not here to like screw people over. Like I, I want I want people to get better as quickly as possible, and they refer me to ten of their friends than to have one patient that I just see over and over and over and over again, giving incremental improvements until they feel better. Yeah, I'd much rather be seeing a much higher level of new patients than return return patients, because yeah. just naturopathically, I want you to get healthy and. You yeah, know, yeah. Only reach more people. Yeah, and and that's really what I've seen, because you know, I don't do any marketing, and really it's just like you treat one person at a time. You do the best possible that you can do for them, mm-hmm. and they 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 do not disappoint when it comes to giving me referrals. Yeah, like I, I give you know, I hand them my business card, and like these people are like taking pictures of my business card, sending it all over the place on Facebook and stuff like yep. that. Yeah, yeah, people are contacting you, but referrals are one of the biggest sources of revenue in I, any clinic. Yeah. I know it's nuts. It's just like just focus on doing well and then giving people the information to give out your info. Exactly. And like exactly. I, the other, I found that um, uh, Google reviews, that's really big too because a lot of people they just look on Google. Yeah. And if you come up and like you know, I, I ask people to write you know honest reviews. And, you know, because I see some very sick patients mm-hmm. and I get them feeling better, they give me, like, really heartwarming reviews. And those are the ones that other people quote a lot of times with, like, why they decided to go with me. Yeah. And one thing I actually uh, read recently was, like, obviously, like, in face-to-face, the first impression is everything. Like, mm-hmm. within, I forgot. Do you remember the time? It's, like, the first five minutes or the first... Maybe oh, like, in which a uh, first impression is yeah, made. Yeah, yeah, like where they make an opinion about you. But basically, it was it was saying that online, it's the first ten seconds people make a decision whether or not they want to like even contact yeah. your business. Yeah, that's like, based on like your yeah website picture. Presence. Yeah, or yeah. Yeah, so like having a good quality website, even like Google 
reviews where you pop up, right? Like the first two mm-hmm. or three are like usually the ones that they go with. Yeah, smile on your photos. They yeah. just have like, you know, that webcam photo. Yeah. Like 2007. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> it's not even a photo that you're like crop someone else out because you're yeah, like, it was like <laughs> some ex-girlfriend on, um, on the side. So let, let's go back to the beginning. So you, you were first year residency, started to think about the business and where you wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you were like, mobile sounds good. It's yeah. going to save you overhead. and, and Yeah, save a ton of money. So then what was the next step for you? You were like, okay, I made the decision to go mobile. What are you doing now? So the, the next step was a mistake. Um, I'm, I'm not a really good planner. I really kind of just like, was it, what's the term go by the, the seam your pants or mm-hmm. something like that. But it, I was just looking at different, you know, vehicles. Like I was looking at, you know, sprinter vans, this, that, the other thing, you know, uh, school buses was, I was on for a while and my, my dad was talking to me and he said like, you know, they have a couple ambulances, um, coming to auction down in Tucson. Like that would be a perfect size. You know, for what you want to do. And like, and you already know how to drive an ambulance because you're an EMT, you know? So I'm like, at first I was like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't know if that would really work because I want to see patients, you know, in a vehicle and the ambulance is not really the largest thing, right? Because you can't really stand up in it. Mm-hmm. But it, that, I went to the auction, you know, checked it out. It, it, it worked pretty well, right? Like the ambulance was running. I checked the engine and stuff like that. And then literally I got it on a... I don't know if a whim is the correct word to say. Like, an auction is a very stressful event, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. They're saying, and like, I just raised my hand and I got an ambulance for. You were like still half foot no, in, like one foot dude, in, one foot out. You were like. Dude, I felt like I was going to throw up when I got it. Like, when they said I won, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I wanted yeah, it. We'll, we'll get this because. So, um, the ambulance, the minimum bid they were going to accept was $6,200 on it. Which, again, that's not that expensive for $135 ambulance. $135 that was the ambulance, yeah, from back in the... Uh, from when it was built in 2005, right? So that was the reserve. Yeah, it was like $6,200. I ended up winning it for $5,400, which is below, right? So the the auctioner said it was like... A, it was on a phone call, you know, because like the, there's a certain price range where like they'll call the owner, which was Tucson Fire Department, and see if they'd be willing to sell it for that. And so after the after the auction was over, I went up to the auctioneer and I was like, you know, hey, just can you let the uh, Tucson Fire Department know? It's like I'm a physician, I'm still an active EMT, and I'm going to use this for medical purposes, right? And, and they did, and that's what they that's what they said. And before I even left the auction, you know, because I was down in Tucson, the they they called back and they said, yeah, you got it. Dang, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. And then I ran to the bank, and I got a credit card in the business's name, <laughs> and then I, I put it on that, Dang. and then the next four and a half months was uh, a crash course in carpentry, demolition, electric, AC, like that, that was, that put some hair on your chest learning how to build a mobile clinic. Yeah. And so the, the biggest thing here... The reason you're taking these these routes, obviously going to an auction instead of buying new and building it out yourself, even though you probably didn't have too many of the skills required, <laughs> no. like learning along the way. I like, didn't even have the tools. What the biggest thing seems like you're just trying to save costs, right? You're trying to cut costs to some degree. Yeah, I'm being cheap. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's. Well, the, I, well, here's the thing. Like, I've never, besides medical school, I've never used a loan for anything. Mm-hmm. I've never purchased a car. 
be a loan. I've always paid cash for all my cards. You know, I've never got anything on a loan. And so I, I just, I didn't under, you know, I didn't even think like, okay, you know, what, what do I go to Mercedes-Benz dealership and just get a Sprinter van, you know, 45 to 55 grand and then, you know, have monthly payments and then build it out, you know, and stuff like that. So like, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff, but I was just looking for the most cost-effective manner to go about doing it. And mm-hmm. really it's, it was not organized. I just fell into each step. You know, I, I happened to win the ambulance at the auction. And then th- that was the big point. Once I got the ambulance and I, I was like, had some skin in the game, you know, I had my first time I've ever had debt on a credit card mm-hmm. that needed to be paid off. I mean, I had a year to do it because that was like the introductionary rate for it. So I'm like, oh, damn, I better make my nut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I felt terrible after getting that ambulance. Like I was shaking. And I'm like, oh, so The stupid. auctioneer just saw you so pale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. picking up the keys from the office. Yeah, yeah. Like it was, it was a very nerve wracking. But once I had that skin in the game, it was like we're going forward. Yeah. Because, and that's I see that throughout my life. Like where I'm very hesitant to make a decision, but once I do, I never go back from that decision. Unless it's like a really bad you know decision that's yeah, yeah. taking me down the wrong path. But like, I got the ambulance. It'd be really hard to sell it <laughs> if I if I wanted to, right? Like, who's gonna buy an ambulance? Yeah. And then it was just like, how do I put everything in place to make a successful mobile business? And literally, my goal was, I just want to be debt free when yeah. it came to that business. All I want to do is make sure that you know I don't have that credit card looming over my head. So that was my goal. Uh, after building the whole ambulance, I think it came to like 15k and some change. Like that was the total investment in the business. You know, because, like, I did everything. Yeah. Electric, everything like that, all the maintenance and stuff. And I was, like, my goal is to make that money back so that there's no debt in the business. And I obviously surpassed that. Yeah. Thanks to a pandemic. I know. And we'll get into it in a second here because that's good. It seems like uh, your story, a lot of it is, like, the universe is just on your side. Oh, hell yeah. way through. Um, so we'll talk about the pandemic stuff. But, um with the uh, with the ambulance with the mobile business, were you referring to any source that you knew that was running a successful mobile business? Like once you were like, okay, I'm gonna go get an ambulance, and then once you got the ambulance, you're like, well, does this model even work? You know, like what were was there a source you were going off of, or did you have inspiration from somewhere else, or is this just like, I'm just gonna throw it at the wall and? I mean, a lot of it was like. Just absolutely winging it. I, I know that I did end up looking at the Red Cross, the RV that they have. There is other um, mobile like stations. Like what, People have very large vehicles for companies that they drive to an area and set up like a triage center you know, out of a vehicle mm-hmm. you know, to see patients um, like that. Now, I do say that um, our friend uh, Carissa Walton up in – she's in Prescott, right? Yeah. So she's mobile health doc. I remember – seeing on Instagram was pretty inspirational what she was doing up there because she took a Mercedes Sprinter van and, you know, had a fabricator, put a generator in there, really build it out into a really nice uh, clinic. That's like the the higher cost way of building it. I remember seeing what she was doing and that that was just a cool concept to yeah. me. And it was like, man, like I would definitely like what she, the setup she has is like definitely like um, a goal that I would have, you know, because it's, it's nice streamlined. Yeah. It looks like, this is a mobile medical business. Yeah. Well, and I actually interviewed her too. So there's a, oh, yeah? a podcast on that I did with her 
And, I mean, both of y'all have are successful, like, in, in the builds that y'all have. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're right. She did go the, let's just put it all on the card, right, or whatever she was using and, like, get the mm-hmm. brand new latest stuff and build it out from yeah. scratch. Which, which is, I, I'm sure, is, is the long term is the better investment. <laughs> yeah, for mm-hmm. sure, for sure. But I feel like doing it that way, that both ways work, right? And, yeah. And I feel like the way you did it was more of a, probably relates to what most people, right, with, with little financial um, help. Yeah. Like it's it's a, it's a build-it-yourself type of way. And that, yeah, d- Jimmy rig it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that, that literally, like, in the beginning, that was, like, the epitome of what I was doing. So you got the ambulance home. Uh, first of all, I was parked in the freaking apartment. Okay, yeah, it was it was at the yeah, the apartment complex. And, you know, first of all, I drive it up from Tucson, okay? Like, I had my friend David drive me down there to get the vehicle. I drive it all the way back. I pull it into a spot, like like a normal vehicle, like where the front point's in. I get out, and I'm like, oh, my God. This was blocking, like, a third of the road, like, in the complex. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't park it here. Like, it's too big for the spots. And then, like, you know, I'm like, this is pretty bad. But then I backed it into the spot so that the back of the vehicle was, like, overhanging onto the gravel. And it fit perfect that way. So every time I park it, you know, the, the apartment complex, I back it in, and it fits fine. No one has any issues with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I'm happy that the condos haven't kicked me out yet. They tried a few times. <laughs> but I, I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. So, like, for the whole build, I was stealing power from a uh, – there's like a little like utility box that powers the um, the water meters for the entire condo, and they and and they so there's there's a one plug to plug in the whole water system, but there's like another one right below it, and so I'd sneak my hand up and like plug in an extension cord, run it out to the ambulance, and power all my tools and stuff like that, and the <laughs> heater because it's the middle of winter, it's freezing cold enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like I went to I literally went to Home Depot, probably at least fifty times. Because I didn't have a garage. Yeah. All the stuff I stored in the ambulance. The ambulance so I, was the garage. So when I worked on it, I had to take everything out and then go oh inside and start God. working on it. It was nuts. That does sound nuts. Because yeah. my dad said he was going to help me build it. And I was like, well, can I store it at your your factory? And he was like, no. I don't want that junk here. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want that junk here. And so like I was SOL. <laughs> well, so were you – you have the ambulance – Parked in the parking lot, people were looking at you like, what the hell is this guy doing? You're mm-hmm. stealing power from the apartment <laughs> complex. It took three and a half months before I got a letter. Oh, really? And oh, then I was like, I'll stop. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> okay, fine. Well, I already built it by yeah, then. You're, yeah, and I already had a generator. Yeah. So, y- you have the ambulance now. Is there a blueprint? Like, do you know how you're going to build this thing out? Hell uh, no. Or, I, and I, what are you using to learn how to do these things? Like, yeah, so it, most of it was YouTube, learning, like, different stuff. I mean, I knew, like, basic carpentry, right? But I had no tools. I know how to use, like, a circular saw and shop saws and stuff like that. Um, I have no idea how to do electrical. So I did go to my dad just for him to show me how to run. Because, you know, there's already an electrical system in there. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a 12-volt system off the off the alternator, and then there's a 110 system that you plug short power into. So I had to build a whole secondary system for the AC unit, for the laminar flow, for the TV, uh, for the... Um, fridge mm-hmm. and stuff like that and uh so he did help me with that part but it was literally just it was a shit show yeah like i remember i didn't have a power drill so i went next door to dr tony panazza uh-huh. who he he had a power drill that he shared with dr chris awesomes 
And I was like, can I borrow this for a few months? And, because, and but get this, so because I had to like put a frame into a metal ambulance, mm-hmm. I had to use a drill to like drill into the metal to then put the wood on there. And then I had to undo it and put the screw bit on to screw the screw. So I was going back and forth. Finally, I went to Home Depot and I just bought two screwdrivers. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damn. And, and that build, you said it took you, what was the, from start in your parking lot to build it out and it was ready to rock and roll, how long did that take? Uh, it was beginning of December of 2019 to, I saw the first patient March 3rd, I believe, I think it might've been in February, but it was like three or four months That's not bad at all. that dude, it was hell. Like I would, the go, time, I, the time is pretty quick though. If you think of like working a few hours each day, like I was, I would work during the day. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go home and like work until like one o'clock in the morning, like in the ambulance. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like people, I'm like, I'm just waiting for You're someone. Mad scientist. Yeah, at that point. like yeah, it was pretty nuts. And then like you know, for most of the beginning, of it, I didn't have any light, so I had to go get like you know little like uh, work lights to set yeah. up and just see what I'm doing. And then it was a cold winter. It's cold in there. So I put a heater in there. I had to borrow a heater from yeah. someone to do that. But it took a while. And honestly, like when I rolled out and saw the first patient. The setup didn't look the way it did, uh, the way it does. It now. was still like in work in progress. Like yeah, like still that, adding things to it. Yeah, like it wasn't until like uh, July that I put the acro bins on the wall, and like when I put the acro bins in there, that was like a much different storage. What's a so? Let's talk about what's inside of it. So, for anyone who who's listening, he, you can go to what's your Instagram? Right? Uh, Elixir Clinic AZ. Okay, Elixir Clinic AZ Instagram, and he has all the photos on there of the inside. But yeah, we'll kind of describe it a little bit. So it, it so it, I gutted the back of an ambulance and just <clears throat> put up walls, put in a couch, put in a sink, had a counter that has a fridge, a laminar flow to make IVs and a centrifuge, and it's got some nice white walls. It's got some really I really like the ceiling lights, the flood flood I, lamps, right? Yeah, they're like the flat recess lights. The recess, yeah, yeah. putting the uh, on the top. And then that was pretty much the layout for a few months. And then acro bins are, they're industrial brackets. Like you just drill them into the wall and then you can hang these plastic bins like of different sizes that you want and just hang them up on the wall. And that was what allowed me to put all my IV supplies and everything. Because they're strong. Yeah. Like I got like, you know, 2,500 ml like saline bags just sitting in one. And like I'm going over speed bumps mm-hmm. and crap like that and there's no problem. And then now I have a shelf in there that I attached to the wall that has my oxygen tank ozone generator and stuff like that all set up all oh, this was uh i feel like to some degree it was a trial and error right oh, like, yeah well because I, I i posted that photo of this the speed bump uh-huh. what was it in uh, it was glendale like they didn't paint a speed bump and i was gonna go i've seen like a covid patient like late at night and i did not see the speed bump and i was going like 45 and i hit it and I look in the rear view mirror, which shows like into the cab <laughs> and my, that, that rack back there that had my like three, that $4,000 ozone generator just oh like came God. apart. And the thing was like hanging and like it was zip tied to the back door and that was the only thing that held onto it. So then I, we, we went to Home Depot and we got these special clamps to put on the wall. And now it's like, it's solid. Yeah. Like the only thing that like has issues back there when I make real tight turns is the centrifuge. Just fly. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he so you have a work basically like a workbench that includes um, the refrigerator, mm-hmm. the laminar flow hood, the centrifuge. They're all side by side, right? 
Yeah, they're all side by side, and there's there's and some all bins mounted in, the in and yeah, they're they're in the wall and on the table, except yeah. for the centrifuge. Yeah, I didn't feel like drilling into that one. Yeah, <laughs> and was the uh, the inside of the cab everything was operational? You added, I know you added like cameras in there, like reverse cameras and all that. Yeah, stuff. the 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 when so when I gutted the whole back, like you have access to all the framework and the wiring. So I, I had to rip out like thirty thirty. Uh, pounds probably of just like old early 2000 computer wiring and radio wiring and mm -hmm. stuff like that and the best thing i did was i put in four backup cameras so i got two backup cameras out the side so i can see the side of the vehicle and in the back i got one that points down at the bumper to see like exactly where i am in space and then one that points out to see like vehicles behind me and with that like i can i can drive the thing backwards just looking down at the screen and that that's what allows me to park in such tight places yeah that's yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, that, awesome. That, was, that was one of the best things I did was put in the backup camera. Because driving an ambulance is a pain in the butt, especially when you're backing up. After um, after you did all that, you said you saw your first patient in February. Yeah, it was like February, March. So we had a historical event happen around that time, which coincidentally, like, that's what set off basically the boom in your business right would you say that's what that's what yeah it's 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 hard to say what the business would have been without the pandemic because the <clears throat> like uh, we i mean we knew the pandemic was coming end of january yeah way before like yeah like i already had my p100 mask i had all my ppe equipment and stuff like that because i'm like this is gonna rain down upon us like we're due right <laughs> it's been 100 years and um i definitely like end of january i really started to pick up the pace in terms of building the ambulance because I knew I really thought like I'd be doing a lot of pandemic stuff yeah you know and just uh yeah my my first patient I ever saw was a COVID patient that was sent home from the hospital twice I was essentially sent home to die at that point yeah yeah and yeah it's, I mean so pandemic hits your baby you're only seeing COVID patients right like that was your primary uh, patient it was demographic i mean again like because i wasn't marketing i was just getting phone calls from people like um like you know because working at the school like people knew i was building the ambulance i was doing it right next so to people them. you mean by people you mean like other physicians that yeah were, like, other wanted a network and used your services because it was just it was convenient they had yeah. a lot of patients that needed what no it was out of like desperation like it was just like people like listen i got this patient they're they're really sick they got COVID, you know, no one's going to see him. They went to the hospital twice. And, you know, it's just, there's, there's, you know, there's no way to get them mm -hmm. healthcare services. And, you know, they call me or the patient calls me and like, really, it's like, I get so many like, really, I get uh, voicemails on my phone that are like, they're really, I don't know, sad, but it's just like, oh man, like my like heart goes out. They're hurting. Yeah, like, like you can really tell how sick someone is over the phone, mm -hmm. like when they leave you a message. And it's like, you know, it'd be 9 p.m. at night. You know, I'm seeing my, my last patient from the day. You know, it's like patient number eight, you know, during the day. And like 9 p.m. and someone calls and like they're really sick. And it's like, it's you or the hospital. Mm -hmm. And although the hospital, you know, a lot of times is the place you have to go, mm -hmm. you know, for treatment. Like I, I do end up going out and I... I, I I assess them first, see what their vitals are and stuff like that, listen to their lungs. And I give them my honest opinion, you know, in, in terms of what is the next step, you know, to do. Yeah. Because yeah, honestly, because without that, a lot of times what, what's going on with these people is that because of the way 
COVID attacked their lungs. Like they, they just try and ride it out at home. And then like one day they stand up to go to the bathroom and just black out, you know, cause their O2 sats are dropping to the, the sixties and below. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's just hospitalization, you know, onto a BiPAP, onto a ventilator. And then it's just a fight for your life. And it's just, that's not something I want to have anyone go through. Yeah. Cause really the, I kept telling myself like, what is the price of life? Because, like, that's what it was coming down to. Like, if I don't go out and see these people, like, you're just going into the hospital system. And back then, they did not know, you know, what to do at all. Yeah. Much. Yeah, it was all just, everyone was just learning. Yeah. What was your main service? Like, when you were going to see COVID patients, what was the main thing you were doing? Uh, the main thing I was doing was um, high dose, higher, higher doses of vitamin C, mm-hmm. IVs, and I was nebulizing NAC. And I mean, as time went on, I started adding on more and more services. You know, I, I got quercetin. I was adding that to the mm-hmm. nebulizer, which uh, tastes terrible for people. And then I switched over to glutathione. Um, we're doing that. We're doing acupuncture. We're doing homeopathy. But um, mainly, it was the IVs seemed to help the best for those patients. They really did. And was um, so which that was the bulk of revenue was it was coming through IVs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what about what about now? Because we're like, what, 10 months from like when we first went into lockdown mm-hmm. and COVID stuff. So. Well, a, a ton of people, still a lot of the treatment is the IVs um, added on glutathione pushes afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, a deep muscle inj- uh, injection of vitamin D. Um, and then I, I started carrying multiple nebulizers on board and actually dispensed them with vials of glutathione and saline to patients for them to nebulize themselves. Because that... that really helps with preventing hospitalization due to pneumonia yeah like because yeah just having prophylactically do that especially if they have like copd emphysema asthma or you know something to set them up you know for poor outcome did you think ivs would be in when you were thinking about going mobile did you think ivs would play such a critical role in in your practice or was it like again like just something that just happened to turn out like how did you picture it even without the pandemic before the pandemic like, what did you picture the mobile business would be like? Like, what was the service you were providing primarily? I thought it was going to be more primary concierge kind of care. People okay. pay for, like, you know, monthly, uh, three-month services. You know, because I went to that uh, Dr. Eli Camp uh, business class a few mm-hmm. years back, and she talked a lot about the recurring income that you can make off of a concierge practice where, like, people pay for a, a time subscription for your services. Yeah. And so that was the plan. But really, I'm... I'm my whole business model is just like a, again, I just fell into it, but it's really just structured around the pandemic because that's pretty much primarily what I'm treating. Cause it's really, it's until the pandemic's like over, like it, I'm just, I'm trying to minimize death really, which is pretty much an extension of mm-hmm. being an EMT. Like, you know, many ways using an ambulance similarly to the way it was originally intended to be used. Yeah. Would you say the services are, are basically the same? Like the services you're providing now are basically the same as when the pandemic struck? No, like, I, I, like, I become much more refined in what I do. And so what are what are they now? Like refined how? Like, you know, uh, choosing like this, uh, this IV ingredient, this concentration, you know, adding this on at that time, you know, for all those different things. Like, I mean, I can... You know, uh, bringing prescribing ivermectin for people. Mm-hmm. I've seen really good results with that. Or I, I do make a huge push um, for oral supplementation 
of different nutrients yeah. for patients that are going into COVID. Because the thing I've found with COVID is that most people that call me are kind of between day eight and day 14 after they started showing symptoms, right? Which is, you know, you kind of correlate around the time when, you know, okay, the antibodies are starting to pick up, right? So you can have a stirring up of the immune system, which can lead to exacerbation, cytokine storms and stuff mm. like that, which worsen all those symptoms. So those are a lot of people that I see, and I, I believe a lot of their symptoms are from just an overall immune exhaustion, which you can see in labs after the fact. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just bottomed out immunoglobulins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, so... Any people that I see before that time, like when they're just starting to get sick, I'm like, listen, let's throw everything we got at it supplement-wise. You know, we can do IVs and stuff like that and get you on a nebulizer because you have, you know, this or that comorbidity factor. You hit it so hard in the beginning. Like, just do everything that you can do for it and just pray that you make through it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because when you're already very sick or you're day like 8 to 14 and like your O2 sats are dropping – that's difficult to turn around. Yeah. You know, like I've seen, I think I'm up to like 180 something COVID encounters. Mm -hmm. You know, some of those are repeat of the same patient. Yeah. And that's but, kind of what I, what I was going to ask is that because ultimately it comes out to two types of patients. It's the acute care patients uh -huh. and the, the uh, chronic care. Um, initially a lot of it was acute. How much has converted over to like chronic care now? Like now, you know, you're starting to see these patients regularly. Like, oh, yeah, like post-COVID patients? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I... Like, I, I, know, I, think, I think acute care is at around 60 or 65% of the patients that I see. Okay, and that's, that's what I was... Because I want to get at a little bit, like, of, like, like the, the revenue coming in, like, is it primarily based off of, right now, new patients, or is it recurring patients? You know what I mean? Like, what's... Mm -hmm. It's definitely new new patients. New patients. Yeah, they, they tend to, because I just see a large volume of new patients. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's just, that's treating people. Yeah. yeah. Feeling sick. Mm -hmm. What's your, what's been your, um, what's been the takeaway with, with the mobile model? Like, what have you learned? And, and um, what, well, he, what are the benefits of it? And then give me the downsides to it. Like, if anyone out there listening that wants to, like, Consider going the same route. Mm -hmm. Well, so the, um, I mean, the the benefits of the mobile model is that you have low overhead in the beginning, unless you get a real expensive vehicle. You know, if you did it my way of doing it, where like you find a really cheap vehicle and convert it to a mobile setup, like that's is that it doesn't cost a whole lot to do. But and then you know, so you have a much larger profit margin. I feel, but at the same time, like I'm pretty by the book person and like the ambulance is a large vehicle and that allows me to accommodate to do everything correctly. Like when I built the ambulance, you know, I put a $2,000 laminar flow hood in there, right? That was donated to me by SCNM. Um, it's good to know people. Yeah. Your networks helped you a lot. Oh, 100%. Oh, no, I've been done this. Yeah. You know, been able to do this by myself. Um, you know, so I have a laminar flow hood. You know, it's an ISO 5 uh, uh, clean room environment in there when it runs for a certain period of time. There, I've tried to come as close as I can to what's an ISO 7 clean room environment in the ambulance itself, meaning like the way I have the HEPA filter set up off the AC unit in there that if it does run for 30 minutes, it should get the, the particle count in there down low enough to 
meet that uh, concentration and I got that place painted with antimicrobial special cleanable painted walls and what have you. I have a floor that can be you know mopped and got cavi wipes up the wazoo in terms of really cleaning that thing. So I took a lot of the steps that are required to go above and beyond to really do sterile compounding and stuff like that, which that's hard to do. That's the part mm -hmm. that's difficult to replicate. You know, because there's plenty of IV businesses that they follow. You know, you can't inject the IV bag more than three times. And so they're just going, bringing bags into people's homes and right in front of them, injecting them with stuff, which, you know, you have much less of an effect because you don't have as much nutrients in there. So my model, you have to, you have to factor in, you know, that you're going to do things right and buy the book. So, again, those, going back to pros, you know, low overhead, you know, high profit margins. Downsides. I don't really have weekends, it seems, although I'm starting to cut back as I feel more and more burned out <laughs> fighting the pandemic. But um, you're driving the whole time, and there's it's difficult to set up your schedule in such a way that you're not driving long distances in between patients. And so there's, a, there's such a logistical thing there. And because I'm a one-man crew, I got to answer the phones. I have to order IV supplies. I have to do all the paperwork for the patients and stuff like that. So it is a huge time commitment to do. Like I don't have any desk staff or front desk staff because there is no front desk. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, like the next steps are to do yeah. that as a, you know more and more financially you know stable. Like really, I I should have done it a long time ago so I don't have to do all this stuff now. But mm -hmm. that is the next step is to bring more people on to have more vehicles. Yeah, because you know I, I get so many calls per day that. It would be nice to have another vehicle out on the road that can handle a lot of those IVs or those acute cares. And so I can just see my regular patients. Yeah, That actually segues into the next thing is like, what's the, what's the scalability like in your mind? You know, how, mm -hmm. is this a, a practice model that you think you can scale to a, a large degree? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Cause it's, a, um, scalability is always about removing you as the, you as the little cog that's running because you know, obviously I'm like the rate limiting step I only have so much time in the day I only have so, so much mental power I can only drive so fast in the ambulance but um <laughs> yeah, yeah I do not use the, the sirens and lights you know for, for such things um but it's easily scalable because the system's in place it's just about training people you know how to do it and getting them set up with vehicles and really at that point you can actually have almost like a franchise type model in which you can have competition between the different groups, like, you know, who can see more patients, you know, but really the, the model, you can work at your own speed. You know, like I can block a section of time out during my day if mm -hmm. I need to relax or something like that. If someone has kids or they have a stressful life, you know, they have some impairment or something like that where they can't just hustle 8 a.m., you know, to 5 p.m. every single day and then have off on the weekends. This model allows you to work any time that you want, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's been days where, like, you know, I, I really exhausted myself the day before, just blocked out the next morning, start working at, like, 2, end at 10, 11 at night. You know, it's weird hours, but... Mm -hmm. But patients are receptive to it because yeah. it's in their Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And people. Yeah. If they're sick, they don't... They yeah. Don't yeah. yeah. Well, what time you go over there? Actually, you know, because I, I, sometimes I call people up, like, they're real sick. And I'm like, you know, we can... I can see you tomorrow. If you can't make it to them, you know, I'll, I'll make an exception. I'll come out at 10 p.m. You know, we'll see you. 
So what's the next steps for you? What um, you said you're you're basically burning. Well, I I burning I, out. I I definitely push myself very because there was there was a time when it was like uh, December and January in Arizona was like just chaos. Like mm-hmm. it, it really was. It was just back to back patients here. I was treating houses with five sick COVID patients in there. You know, three are okay, but one of them's looking real ill. You know, I've only had to refer eight people to the hospital. Um, so I have, like, some pretty good stats of keeping people out of there. But, you know, there's it – was, it was chaos. Mm-hmm. It really was. Like, and uh, I think the, 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 the thing that always stressed me the most is I don't like being late. And a lot of times, you know, if unforeseen things come up, like, you know, this regular IV turns into an ER referral. Like, that takes obviously more time. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, like, texting – Patients in the future, like, hey, you know, I'm going to be a little bit late, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's all that stuff. Yeah, but, and it sounds like you have such a deep connection with your patients that, and the service and the quality is so good that they're, a lot of times they're probably understanding, huh? Oh, yeah. Never had a patient not be understanding. And and it's different because if you were in an office and you tell a patient, hey, you know, we're running late and then the patient has to sit in the office for another hour yeah, it's like a whole different. So now they're like in the comfort of the. It's home. like yeah, I've never had someone say like you're late. I'm like I just drove to you. <laughs> exactly. You're getting an IV for two hundred dollars. Exactly. It's the best possible service. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's no reason they could be mad. Oh uh, yeah, people are like overly thankful. Yeah. When I show That's up. awesome. And it's funny, like people are like I don't know, they're like, should I feed you? Like, do you, do you want some food or something? Like, no, no, I'm okay. Like, you have COVID. I don't want to. I don't want your water. I don't want your drink. <laughs> you know, I don't want your food or anything like that. But thank you. You're like all I appreciate. Yeah, all guarded up, like yeah, trying to yell at them through my P100 mask. How are you today? Yeah. <laughs> I can't. That, that's the worst. People that are hard You're, hard of hearing. Like I am screaming at them through my mask. That's funny. Yeah. Um, so just like just from I guess from my view, the the way I see the whole thing is like a lot of it sounds like. It was, it was cost driven. Like you wanted to find a, a way to build a practice that was going to be cost effective, low overhead, and then a lot of it turned out to be like, like circumstance, right? Like it was like the universe basically was in your favor, and then the other big part that stands out to me is like the network you have, right? So like, for people out there listening, is like you you need to establish yourself with within a really strong network of other doctors like and the best way you did it the way I see you did it and you can tell me if I'm wrong but you grew within school like you made these relationships while you were in school Mm -hmm. and and then as you went into residency like those relationships only got stronger and it was like the doctors knew who you were and like that's something that I I try to tell everybody, like, make sure people know who you are. Like, doctors, especially, like, if, if it's a field that you want to go into mm-hmm. or you're trying to do so, it's, like, that's just – because then they're they're calling out to you when you, you know, when you need help or when you have a freaking amazing service, they're going to go to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the other thing that I kind of see is, like, you – you're kind of, like, a little bit of an, out, an outlier because of these – some of these factors, right, because the pandemic happened – Gave you a big boost, uh, which means you didn't really have to market necessarily. Like a lot yeah, of yeah, done no marketing exactly, and so it's kind of an an outlier type case mm-hmm. where you know it just everything fell into place perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I think um, a, a lot of it does fall back on the networking thing. So, you know, people that are listening can take away, like, you, you have to build that network up. Um, and you can, because uh, again, initially when you start a practice, a lot of it, you know, you do have to market yourself, especially if you don't have a strong network. Or you're starting in a new state, you know, you graduated from AZ and you moved back home or something like, or you moved to another state mm-hmm. um, and you don't know anyone. You have to market, you have to network with people. Um, but then once you get that system in place, it comes down to the referral. Referral. Most mm-hmm. practices, I think it's like 80% of, of new patients are from referrals. Yes. So, um, so yeah, it's just, it's really, really... Well, I've never thought of what I did as network as networking, like like when it came to like school or working with other docs. It's just about doing the best job that you possibly can, because like I I've always seen it that way. Like you know, any job I've ever gone for, like I kind of like got. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like mean to like boast, but just like I I don't try to get a job because I want that job. I I try to get that job because I know I can do what they're asking really well. Yeah. And it's not a matter of like um, special talent. It's just like grit and hard work. You know, yeah. just putting it in, you know, putting the time in. Like, you know, if you look at like in school, like, you know, I was on like Dr. Bulk shift, like got eight times or something. I don't know. Yeah. I have like the most I can do. And she wanted me around there because like, I was like really like, I wanted to, really do a good job for the yeah. patient. I want to, because I've always found it's like for a patient, like if a patient walks in with Parkinson's disease, you know, I look, I study Parkinson's disease so far. I know it inside, outside. I look at all the research and stuff like that because I know that if I do an amazing job for that first patient with that one condition, every patient down the line that I see with that same condition is going to get a treatment and care done that was based off of that really hard work I did way mm-hmm. back then, mm-hmm. right? And so just doing a really good job, you know, just with patients or the little things, I think just got me noticed yeah. in many senses. And honestly, like it's like I, I never interacted with someone else in this field thinking, oh, this is a referral connection. Yeah. It's just you're, you're just na- that's the thing. You were just so passionate about what you did. Like it was just a natural thing. Yeah, you didn't think of it as a way of marketing yeah, just, or networking and stuff. Yeah. I feel like the the thing to do is just find something that you're passionate exactly. about. Exactly, one hundred percent. Because like, cause then you don't have to put in like drudgery or effort, you know, to, to do stuff. It's and, like you just passionately do it. And the reward and the universe rewards, like right, like with with you're just so passionate, and you've had all this. Like I feel like a lot of a lot of it is it's a uh, the passion drove the success. Yeah. And without you even thinking that you know it's marketing or it's yeah. networking, it's like well, it was never too much of a yeah like a business. And, I, I will say that, and this ties in kind of with the pandemic and like why I've worked so hard over the past years, that I was not pursuing happiness. Like I was not working towards, you know, the passion of feeling happy. It was about the meaning. You know, how could I get meaning? Mm-hmm. And I found a, a tremendous amount of meaning in being there for people when no one else was. You know, yeah. like where they're, they're, they're really sick. Yeah. You know, and like, all these, and this is part of the, what really pissed me off is like, you know, as a doctor, like you take the Hippocratic oath, you're you're supposed to be there for your patients, right? And everyone just shut down their practices. You know, like yeah, the yeah the hospitals are open, but people shut down their practices or like you no, know, I've 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 spoken with you know many docs that they're just 
they're afraid to go to work or, you know, they're afraid to take care of the patients. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think you understand what it means to be a doctor. Yeah. Like a, a doctor is not, it's not really, it's not a job. Mm-hmm. Like when you really look at it, like when someone goes down on an airplane, like they're, they're, you really should not. Yeah, you're not going to boo anyone. <laughs> well, after well, it's not that. just that. It's like, is there a, is there a doctor on this plane? Like you better raise your damn hand or stand yeah, up because yeah. like, no, you're a doctor. Like you have an Hippocratic oath. Just because they're on the plane and they went down, they're now your patient. Yeah. Like there's no you deciding to do that. Like you have to step up in a time of emergency. And that's 100% the way I saw it yeah. with the pandemic. Cause, and honestly, like, you know, it's an emergency. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like the, the, the structure, the infrastructure of our healthcare system was crumbling. Or we saw all the weak spots and, you know, people were dying because of that. And I just, I just saw that like, you know, there's, there's purpose here in going in and being there for those patients, especially like when I know that I had treatments that can help those people, yeah. you know, Oh God, there's just stacks and stacks of paper that, you know, Dr. Paul Anderson has been talking about, you know, for since yeah, decades yeah. about, you know, like preventing death from sepsis or acute respiratory distress uh, syndrome with high doses of vitamin C or just thymine doses, you know, in IV or even orally, like how it just cuts down death in hospitals. You know, you just extrapolate that to the pandemic. You're like, listen, it's like criminal not to do this stuff. And it just pissed me off. And like, so I'm like, you know, I'm going to go get $1,200 worth of vitamin C from Vertisys. And we're just going to go treat all these patients. That's powerful, man. You're, you're, uh, you're a real life hero. Oh, please. (laughs) Um, You know, in EMT class, they say, um, don't be a hero. And when they, then they say like, why don't you want to be a hero? And the whole class recites because heroes are dead. (laughs) And like, honestly, there's a degree of that. Where like you're going into COVID Uh, homes, like you might get it and you might succumb to it. No, I, I, I definitely understand that frustration. And, and I think also we see, you know, schools, naturopathic medical schools that like they're shut down right like the oh, students are, oh. are studying virtually they're seeing anatomy labs virtually they're taking proctor exams virtually mm-hmm. like there is no there is no uh clinic shifts right like they were virtual for yeah like, for a very long for time. a very long time and it's like to me that's first of all the conventional medicine students are they never stopped. Like there, there might have been a small period where they went virtual, maybe. But now, you know, they're running full steam. And for me, it just seems like I worry about the next, you know, generation of of naturopathic doctors out there, right? Like they're because, gonna suck at PE. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, gonna, they're gonna suck at PE for I, sure. I, yeah, I, yeah, I won't say who did this, but one time I was overseeing it as a resident a, a prostate exam, and like you know, you're supposed to hold your hand like this, right? But they're holding their hand upside down, meaning that their finger was feeling the tailbone. Oh my god! Like gosh. and not the prostate. So I'm, so I'm like, how, how large? How large is the prostate? And it's like ten cc's, you know, which is like a fourth of what it should be. And it's like, <laughs> I, I mean, I took. I, I, I did not laugh in the afternoon. It's like you were feeling your tailbone. <laughs> and it's like, I feel like there's going to be a lot of that going on oh, in the absolutely. future. But absolutely. I mean, there, there is going to well, be a lot of catching up that people are going to have to do. For sure. And it's scary because there's a lot of people. I mean, we even saw it in our own graduating class where, you know, even with the on, on hands or um, hands on training mm-hmm. the in the clinic. We still had people that, you know, were were struggling with 
with the in-person stuff with with being a doctor and then for me to think that you know i'm sure there's gonna be a handful of people that are like that within the virtual model now and then there's gonna be a small set of people that aren't gonna they're more money oriented and like being in practice oriented than they are like making sure they have the qualifications or training yeah i mean going forward well I, i know that we feel this way but like at least from working in a hospital setting in the ER, you know, for as many years as I did, it's like you can kill your patient. Mm. Like the littlest mistakes that you make because you're not well trained can lead to the death of your patient. Yeah. And that scares the crap out of me, right? And that was that was one of the reasons why I did a residency. Because I don't want to kill a patient. Yeah. Right? You know, I don't I don't want to have to use my malpractice. <laughs> Dude, or more, even more than that, you don't all it's gonna take is one doctor that's out practicing to fuck it up further. Yeah, for everyone. For everyone. Right. And we're working so hard to get more and more states licensed. And if word got out that our school's still virtual, that we know the amount of hours we're spending with patients and stuff like that is dramatically decreased. It's embarrassing, yeah. It's so embarrassing. And I think, uh, you know, let's just... Cross our fingers and hope no one fucks it Screws up. It. Ah. <laughs> like, but, but you know, oh, well, I, I'll tell you, the Nplex takes care of a lot. True, <laughs> true. That test is so damn difficult, especially when you don't study for it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, it, it'll take out a few of them. Watch them drop the curve on it, so it oh, takes out a little bit more people. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And it's like they're they're like wiping out a little bit more people from it. Uh, we're just thinning the herd. <laughs> so we're we're we're. Uh, Coming up on time, we're almost at an hour, but I do want to ask you what... It's 11.15 at night, man. <laughs> Let's keep going. Two o'clock. Uh, what's the... Um, I like to ask, like, software questions, right? Like, what? Uh-huh. what's your software that you're using starting out? You know, what's been amazing to use? Uh, you, what are you using for your phone service? I know you have an internet phone service, your fax service, your EMR system, your... Mm-hmm. All your little gadgets. What do you got going on? Um, let me pull up. What works well with the the mobile model? So the mobile model, anything that works on your phone. So fax dot plus is the app I use for all my faxes, and they give me a fax number that people can send to and from. I've had that one since the beginning, like five bucks a month. Nice. That that works great. Mm-hmm. No problems with that. I use GoDaddy um, as a phone service, which I do not recommend. They have like a smart line thing but it, it is kind of finicky like it just has issues do you ever miss calls on that one um i feel like sometimes, so sometimes it cuts off the voicemail yeah i feel for patients i'm definitely going to switch away from that to a more expensive service that also comes to your computer and that you can kind of expand with other lines once i bring on more people when it comes to email services i use a, a gmail business suites or whatever which mm-hmm. gives me a email at my own domain address um the emr that i use is charm which has been invaluable um charm is really great um simply because it has so much customization in it that it really once you set things up well it really cuts down time that it takes for you to you know get put together treatment plans this that and it it integrates with full script which is like wow it's amazing i can Mm -hmm. put right into the treatment plan it just goes right to full script patient gets an email you know and then they can order supplements or what have you nice and the other reason why i use that is because I can put custom meds or treatments or stuff like that. Like, for example, um, 
from Civic Center Pharmacy in Scottsdale, they have uh, a Soothe shot, which is like L-GABA and L-theanine, which you can inject people that have uh, anxiety and it kind of, you know, melts them down. I just put that in there and I the drop down and I just said uh, also dispense syringes and stuff like that. Click it, goes into the chart, I print it, already has my name signed on it. I scan it with my fax app and just fax it right over to Civic Center just like that. Nice. You know, no more calling in scripts or anything. Mm -hmm. I, I don't call in any scripts to anybody. Um, I do, I use that. Other software. Oh, so all um, my appointments are through that Square appointment, yeah. which is really good. Square is amazing. Yeah. Because Square, I took a crap ton of time in the beginning to set up Square. I put in every lab that I can order. I put in all my different services, everything in there. So I go see a patient, when I check them out, I click all the things that we did, swipe the card, they get an email receipt, you know, money comes into my account, like when it transfers, and it's like it's a done deal. Never had an issue. Nice. And like that works really well. And like, yeah. And then you, you can invoice them and all that stuff. Yeah, really and nice yeah, too. yeah, which is, you know, sometimes people are so sick, I don't really want to take my hand out of my Or maybe to, a, a, <laughs> a, a, someone else, like a caregiver. Like a family yeah, no, member might no, yeah. want to pay instead. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm treating people over here. Yeah, I'm sending the bill to you know someone else. Yeah, yeah, and that, that does work out really well. In terms of other, I mean, then there's just like medical apps that I use. You know, kind of Medscape, UpToDate, Hippocrates, Merck Pro, and Drugs.com. Nice. And everything else is just books or digital version of books. Sometimes I do use uh, Notability, which we've used in school to kind of take mm -hmm. notes with. Uh, the stylus for my iPad, but sometimes I'll jot down notes during patient visits mm -hmm. uh, there, and uh, I think I think that pretty much comes down to all the things that I use software-wise. Here's a question: what What do you think you're paying per month in software? Under 150. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I'm I'm streamlined, man. So, if you don't mind me asking, what what are monthly costs to run the business? And you don't have to give an exact number, but just like an, an estimate. Monthly costs. So, like car insurance, all the different insurances that a business <laughs> mm -hmm. needs. So you have, let's just talk about that really quick. So you have car insurance, malpractice insurance, liability insurance when you go into yeah, business liability. Yeah, yeah, business liability. Um, that's probably it, right? Those three main ones? Uh, Probably. Yeah. I feel like that's there's there's because commercial liabilities. There's two type of liabilities. Mm -hmm. I got like a package thing. Yeah. Like, okay. Geico or whatever. The yeah. They, and they have a really good uh like yeah. it's a very affordable program. Yeah, it's kind of like the thing. But like as you scale up, you yep. just scale up the amount that you yeah. pay. But I mean, yeah, I'm gonna get to the point where it's like you know million dollar coverages. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> pocket change. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so insurance. You got the software you're paying for, it's, the supplies you're doing. So, yeah, so besides the things that we just described, everything else is based off of volume of patients that I see. Like, um, and there's finesse to this. Like, you you kind of pick up what you go through when you see patients. Like, you know, so you always have to have supplies of like IV tubing, you know, IV <laughs> catheters, you know, the bags, you know, gauze, tape. And then you get into the actual injectable ingredients, which you got to get from a, a pharmacy. And there's such as like finesse where you have to like constantly track what you have in stock. 
and like see how quickly you're burning through them and kind of see when you need to get more yeah. stuff. But like now I, I, um, I set up this nice metal rack from Costco at home and I can kind of see what I have available in terms of what's in their boxes. And it's as simple as like, I have four boxes of 10 cc syringes, let's say. Mm -hmm. When I go through three and there's one box sitting there, I order another three, right? And I do that with everything else. Yeah. You know, I get down to that last box of uh, 50 count um, intracan uh, IV catheters. Mm -hmm. I buy another three boxes or such and such. And you do the same thing with the IV bags. And they're all sitting in their boxes with their expiration date. So I kind of see when things, you know, uh, are you know, due to being tossed out. The hardest thing to always stay on top of is your IV supplies, right? Because they do actually have expiration dates. And some of them are good, you know, either like six months out, which you go through them, which is fine. Other ones, you know, glutathione, stuff like that, you know, they're kind of like a month or so. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to use those up quickly. But like as I get busier and busier, I'm just flying through that stuff. Yeah. And then the issue comes down to like, you know, I'm making an IV and then like, oh, this is the last 10 cc's of zinc. Like crap. I gotta go put it in order. Yeah. And then I gotta go drive my mobile clinic up north. Yeah, you're going you know, to a compounding pharmacy. You pick up the stuff. Yeah. You're doing. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you have like ten rules. In, no, I know. <laughs> in the business, because you're. That's doing, why I'm stocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're stocking. You're the logistics. You're yeah. the appointment setter. You're the, you know, everything. So yeah, yeah it's it's a ton. I yell at myself. <laughs> <laughs> I had it the other day. Where, like I ran out of tape. And like I'm doing like an ozone IV on someone. Like you need tape to hold the the butterfly on there. You hit yourself. On yeah, the head. like stupid. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, um, well, I guess yeah. You never give a a figure, a price, or a, a cost. Just and just shoot it. Like, what do you I, think? I, I really don't. You don't. So you know, okay? Like I'm under five hundred bucks a month. Okay, that's not. Yeah. yeah well, no, not. no. So that's for that's before. Uh, supplies. Uh -huh. Supplies is at least two thousand, three thousand dollars. So okay, yeah. So overhead's about let's say like. And wait, no, it's actually more than that. It's like five, five thousand. Because I go through like twelve hundred dollars of IV supplies every two weeks, so that's twenty four hundred per month, and then that's probably another like fourteen hundred in other so, supplies. Yeah, and Four so that's, grand. I don't know. And so you're saying, yeah. So it, it fluctuates with. With however how busy it is essentially right? yeah. with supplies mm -hmm. and stuff, so it could be anywhere from two grand up to, you said what, fifteen. In terms of uh, uh, cost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, up to six grand. Six so grand. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. Uh, but it's 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 nice because th that cost just scales up with the income that happens for the business. So yeah. besides major purchases like major equipment thing, I'm pretty much. When I have to make those payments for those things, it's coming right out of the profits. Yeah, yeah. I've made like there's never where I had to put it on the the credit card and not be able to just pay it off right then and there. Yeah, nice. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, man. Well, we're we're out of time here. We're about an hour seven minutes. But uh, last thing I ask everyone right before getting off is, what's the one piece of advice you would give a new doc or student listening about? It could be about life. It could be about starting a practice. It could be about managing practice, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so there's there's a huge difference between just 
talking a good game and actually doing it. Because, like, I'm... I definitely see from my passing, I'm really good at, like, talking about plans that I want to do, right? But if you don't execute on those, they never happen. And, like, you know, someday never comes. Right? Like, someday I'm going to do this. Someday. Like, really, you have to... You have to take those steps into the unknown in order to move forward. And that's the same thing, you know, with like going to medical school, like, you know, signing those papers, deciding to do it. Like if you feel stuck, you have to push forward through it. Now, you do have to take your time to make sure that this is the right decision you want to make, right? You know, this is the right path. And you, know, you do like, you know, cost-benefit analysis of this decision you want to make. But if you're stuck at that crossroad for too long, not deciding on a path to take is deciding. You're deciding not to move forward. You're grinding to a halt. And what people don't understand is that you have momentum. And that if you stop that momentum for long enough, you can't start it back up. Right? So, like, just do. If you feel stuck, like, you just have to go forward. You have to go through it. And it's scary. You know, there's, like, a terror barrier, which is, like, that the, the step in which you pass and you, you go from making a decision to committing to it. You know, because terror barrier, they, they use that... Um, description when you when you jump out of an airplane you know that exact moment when you're hanging out the side of that airplane but you're still holding on that's a terror barrier like you have to jump through it mm -hmm. and you have to go right you have to fully commit because if you if you put you know, if you lukewarm do anything like you don't you get just mediocre you know success out of it yeah so you just have to commit and it does help to know early on what your decision or what path you kind of want to go down yeah you know especially when you gotta you know spend tens and tens of grand of money to do something yeah. like go to medical school. Yep. And I, and I've heard this before is like the fastest way, you know, whether you like something or not is to do it hundred percent right up. The yeah. hundred percent. Right go hundred percent. Yeah. Just commit to it. And, and I was, uh, I read that book by Phil Knight recently. Shoot up. Yeah. And his thing was, um, if you're going to fail, fail fast. Yeah. It's like, so like commit hundred yeah. percent in. Fail, fail, fail fast. That way you can learn and just keep going. Mm -hmm. Dude, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Where can people find you or reach out to you? Any students or doctors that have questions about your business? How mm -hmm. can they contact you? Um, you can definitely uh, find my email on my website, which is elixirclinicaz.com. Or honestly, a lot of people have been contacting me through Instagram. It's elixirclinicaz. People just send me messages right then and there. Yeah. It's kind of easy yeah, you yeah. Know, just to like chat with people there, get uh -huh. things set up. For them have you got yeah. any patients through there yeah see that that's what's surprising i was like i did not expect patients to be coming through instagram but yeah. you know I, I post photos of kind of what i do here and there not very consistently and people just uh you know they text me it's like hey a lot of times it's like hey my doctor referred me to you that's funny. and they just go to your instagram that's awesome yeah and they just name drop yeah because it, it is a valuable way yeah to contact me because it, it's easy like you can look up my name they see your right quality there. right off the, you know, they already made a judgment on your content, you know, what you're putting up. They can see what kind of person you are. And it's like, yep, let's yeah, do it. Just... It's everything storytelling. Yeah. You know, I'm just sharing my story of what I'm doing. I'm trying to be as honest as possible as I can. You know, people are into that, you know, hey, we'll work together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Um, guys, hopefully you got something from that. And I'll see you at the next one. Bye. Cool, cool. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for making it this far. 
I hope this show had everything you needed to hear about naturopathic business. If you haven't already done so, please hit that subscribe button now. Also, if you have any questions about the topics discussed on the show or about business in general, please send me a message. You can find my contact info in the description of this episode. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the number one podcast on business and marketing for the everyday naturopathic doctor. I really, truly hope you're one step closer to building the practice of your dreams. Okay, goodbye for now.